Good morning, everyone. I am not the Pastor Dan you're probably expecting. I'm the other Pastor Dan. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. If I've not met you, uh, Pastor Dan actually was in Laramie yesterday officiating a wedding. Many of you will recognize this name. Aaron Swan got married yesterday. So Pastor Dan was down officiating that in Laramie yesterday, so he asked if I'd fill in this morning. So here I am. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. Um, I'm going to let you know, too, that camp was amazing. I think for, like, Tanner mentioned that we, the three of us got together and threw this out there, thought we'd experiment, see how it went. It went incredibly well. Looking forward to doing it again next year. And uh, students actually did well. It's, it is amazing to take the time to have conversations with students about God, the depth of understanding they have. Even in the junior high area, Tanner does such a good job of building them up in Scripture. Even junior hires, when you sit down and you actually have a conversation with them about the things of God, they really know quite a bit, which is very encouraging for us that are a little bit older, so glad for that. And also, a uh, so few of you may know, we just got back from Brazil. Six of us went to Brazil probably about all oh, of the beginning of August. I'll be talking about that later on. I'll give you an update on what we did while we were in Brazil. It was an amazing trip, and uh, we'll share all that within this missions emphasis as we go forward. So with all that said, what I want to do this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 15 of the book of Luke. So Luke chapter 15. Pastor Dan shared a message last week, which was a really good message on the prodigal son. As I was sitting in my chair over here last week, God kind of laid it on my heart to finish the rest of the story today is what I want to do. But I got a really good spot for an amen this morning. You ready? I'm an older brother, and being an older brother is not the easiest thing in the world. Amen, older brothers? Amen. Am I the only older brother in this place or what? It's like, it's hard. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the elder brother or the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, because a lot of times... We don't get to that level of the story, to that depth of the story. But when you look at it, really in context of who Jesus is talking to, that's the crux of the story is the elder son, not the prodigal, but he kind of squishes that in between there. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look back at Luke chapter 15. Go to verses 1 and 2 for me, if you would, because I really want to keep this in context. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, it says this in the book of Luke. It's titled, The Parable of the Lost Sheep is where it begins. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes, muttered, complained, whined, griped, whatever you want to use in there as a word. This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus goes on to tell them a parable. So that you got to picture this, if you would, as Jesus is teaching tax collectors and sinners and it, what struck me was it doesn't say that they all know the Lord yet. It doesn't say they've all given their life to Christ. But tax collectors and sinners are gathering around to hear what Jesus is talking about. And what the Pharisees don't like is that tax collectors and sinners are around the religious sect of what's going on. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And for him to allow these people to come near to him was really offensive to the Pharisees and the scribes. They didn't like it. So when you look at the context of what this is, that's why the end of this story is so important. The first part of this is when he talks about the lost sheep. Dan, Pastor Dan talked about this last week. Did a great job of breaking that down. When one leaves, the shepherd goes out to find the one and brings the one back in. And Jesus says, we must celebrate when one sinner, now remember who he's talking to, you guys are the crowd sitting around, tax collectors, uh, sinners, Pharisees, scribes, all of you are in the crowd. And he tells him that one, when one sheep gets lost and the shepherd goes out to find him and brings him back, don't we celebrate that? And I can just see the Pharisees going, well, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. That's okay. I get the shepherd thing. Then he talks about the lost coin. And he says, when one woman loses a coin in her home, she lights a lamp, 
sweeps the floor and looks for it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends. Hey, guess what? I found my coin because one coin in that day had to mean a lot to a, to a lady. And you get the sense that this woman was by herself. And the Pharisees had to be also. The Pharisees and the scribes were probably like, I don't have any problem with that. And then Jesus gets to the prodigal son, gets to the prodigal who, who tells his dad, I basically wish you were dead. I want my inheritance, which means that usually happens when the father dies. Dad, I wish you were dead. I'm sick of this. I really want fathers in the room to watch the heart of the father this morning as I get through this story, because I want to I dig into some really critical things that I think that the father touches on as well that Jesus shares through this, this parable that he's talking about. But he talks about how the prodigal son goes to the dad and basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm sick of being here. I've had it. If we're a dad in this room, we got teenagers. If you haven't, you may experience that at some point in your life. I always make this comment. Every family has a prodigal, it seems like. Amen? Every family has one person that's gone awry, gone astray, gone off the rails for whatever reason. But every family also has an elder son, I believe, as well. So you see the prodigal, dad, I want out. He runs off. We know the story. He's in a, he's in a pig slop. Here's what, I want to, here's what I want you guys to kind of catch. The condition of his heart. When he asks the dad for his inheritance, the prodigal son, when he asks the dad for his inheritance, his heart had already left home. Your heart will always leave before your body goes. Please check that. When you're walking your Christian experience out and you feel your heart start to drift, your body will follow. In other words, if I get focusing too much on temptation and I give my heart over to that, I will give in to temptation. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, I can't believe that happened. Yes, you can. If you really understand the rhythm of a heart, you shouldn't be surprised at all that you fall into temptation if you're doing that. Because when the prodigal was in the pig slop, what happened? All of a sudden he remembered the goodness of his father back home. And the goodness of his father, Jesus representing the God the Father in this, the goodness of his father is what took his heart home before he ever left the pig slop. You following me? Because I really want you to catch the condition of the elder son's heart in just a minute that we'll be talking about. So we all know the story. The dad comes back, and this is such... I've shared this before on a Sunday morning, I think, years ago. I read this somewhere one time, and it was such a beautiful picture of what the father does with the prodigal son when he comes home. Because according to Levitical law, the prodigal son should have been stoned to death. According to Levitical law, he should have been killed when he came home. And he knew Levitical law, so he knew when he came home, he was rolling the dice big time on coming back, but he knew the father's goodness, and he knew his father, how he would respond. The dad comes out, he says he ran to him, remember? He was watching, and he ran out, and he tells him, put a ring, a robe, and sandals on him right away. And I, I heard this study one time, how that's the father coming out like Christ does with us. We don't get what we deserve. What we deserve is death, but we don't get what we deserve. The father sends Christ, and Christ comes and wraps his righteousness around me when I call upon his name, and I am protected from what I deserve, which is death. So that's the story of the prodigal. Then we get up to this, so I can see the Pharisees going, I'm okay with that. I don't have any issue with anything of what Jesus is teaching so far. But then Jesus starts to tell the rest of the story. And that's what I want to kind of dig into this morning, because the rest of this story deals with Jesus is dealing with the attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes and how they do not rejoice when sinners come to Christ. Because that's what they were grumbling about. 
They were whining, they were grumbling, they were complaining because these people shouldn't be here. That was the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes. And when Jesus brings the elder son in, the elder son is an illustration or an example of the Pharisees and the scribes. So I'm thinking they had to get a little bit uncomfortable at this point of the story when Jesus starts to dig into this. And as we get through it, we'll look at it a little bit more. But here's the thing I want you to know about the elder son. He was home, but his heart was in a distant country. And we'll see that as we go. This morning, I really didn't, I really hesitated on preaching about this this morning because I don't like offending people. There's not a pastor on the planet that enjoys offending people. But I really want you guys to understand because I do believe in every church on the planet, which I'll talk about in a little bit, there are elder sons sitting in churches. There are elder sons. And here's, I believe, a, a good example of an elder son is this, someone who's never grown up apart from the father. If you've grown up in a Christian home, you've never not known being a Christian. You've never not had God be part of the conversation in your life. See, the, the prodigal knew what it was like to be apart from the father. He knew what that was like. The elder son was always with his dad. He was always with his father. This was one of the concerns I had raising my kids. I gave my life to Christ when I was 38, and my kids were young. They were probably... Five and eight years old, I think, is how old they were when I gave my life to Christ. So my kids grew up in a home, a Christian home. I'd like to think Rachel and I raised our, our kids right in Christ. Did we do it perfect? Uh, no. I want, in case they're watching this, I want them to know I screwed it up really bad at times because I did. But here's what I used to talk to them about because I watched this in youth group as well as I was growing up. Watching kids that grew up in Christian homes never, never really had a conversion experience because they were always with him. Does that make sense? They were always walking with God. God was always part of the conversation. So I think that's a good example of what the elder son looks like. There's two ways to be lost in this world, I believe. The younger son shows it. Break the rules and go far away from home. Leave the father. That's sin, and it, that's an outward sin, right? That's a way living outwardly our sin. I think there's another way to do it, to be like the elder son. And the elder son kept all the rules. I'll talk about that in a minute. And he was very religious, but he was lost. He was, he was in a distant country in his heart. So this, is, this whole story, this parable that Jesus is talking about is the condition of our hearts, really. Are we with God or are we, or are we far apart from God as we go through this? So this message will speak to people who um, get upset when God blesses someone else. When you see someone in the community that all of a sudden gives their life to Christ and all of a sudden they turn and they're different and you're like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I like that very much because I know how that person was before. I often think to myself when I was 38 and I started showing up at church what other people who knew me had to think. I've stood on the stage on Sunday mornings and I've looked in the front row and watched people. I was shocked one morning. I looked down and someone was sitting right there in the front row that knew the old Dan. And here I am standing on the stage preaching God's word. I about fell off the stage. That's as close as I've ever come to falling off the stage was that morning. But what I want you to know is this is about people who are upset with when God saves a sinner and he and when a prodigal comes home and he, they refuse to rejoice, there's like, I'm going to hesitate. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see how they do. Then I'll rejoice. Are they really saved? Because I'll determine that down the road. I'll determine whether they're saved or not. No, rejoice because it says the angels in heaven rejoice. And it's also about the person who doesn't like the way God's doing things. I love God, but I really don't like the way he's doing things. I don't really agree with how he's doing it. Does that make sense? So that's some of the elder son that we're going to be looking at this morning. So Luke 15, verses 25 through 32, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to break this down in a couple different sections, and then we'll, we'll be finished up. So 
Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32 says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the home, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked them, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. This morning, I want to talk about the lost religious son. That's who I want to kind of focus in on, because I think that's how Jesus tells the rest of the story. We're going to look at his reputation, his rebellion, and his father's response. The very first thing we see here is the religious son's reputation. It says, verse 25a, the beginning of that says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Listen, he had some good virtues. The older son had it going on. He was obedient. He did what his dad told him to. He was working hard in the field. When he comes back home, we'll talk about that in a second. But his younger, according to his younger brother, he never disgraced his father. He never disgraced his home. He didn't run off in rebellion like all the community had to know that this other, that the prodigal son had done. In all sense, this guy looked good. He was dressed up, working hard, doing the right thing, doing everything his dad said. Compared to his brother, the prodigal, guy was a saint. So he had some good virtues. His reputation was intact. People around the community would have looked at him like, he's got it going on. I've known people like this. And when you get close to them and you understand what their heart's like, they don't have it going on. They might, as far as the horizontal part of life goes, the world looks, they got it going on really well. But in here, they're far from God and they're in a distant land. So we got to make sure that we're watching ourselves. They, he was a very upstanding citizen, very blessed man. According to Deuteronomy 21, 17, he's the elder son. He gets twice as much as the prodigal would have had because the elder son got double portion. Talked about this Wednesday night with the students in youth group when I talk about Elijah and Elisha, how Elisha got a double portion of what Elijah's spirit was, didn't mean he wanted to do twice as much. It meant that he wanted to be known as Elijah's spiritual son. That was his desire. So this guy, he's got it going on. He's, when his father dies, he gets everything. He's the head of the house then. He's an upstanding pillar in the community. He's got it going on. You would look at this guy and think exactly what he needs to be. Who's Jesus talking to? The Pharisees and the scribes. Their reputation was intact. They were like the older son. But here's the problem. The older son had a problem that no one else could see. And it was his heart. So like the elder son, the Pharisees were the same way. It wasn't that they were doing anything wrong in a sense in their behavior. It was their heart that was off. And that's why Jesus uses the elder son to try to get this across to them. They, they, they had a religion of good works. They fasted. They studied. They prayed. They were giving. But their hope, that was where they found their hope was in good works. They desired to have eternal life through their good works. And that is not the gospel. They knew all about the religious activities, but they knew little about God's grace. And like I said, there's chances are there's people, maybe not in this, and we, listen, we have a wonderful congregation here, and this probably, that's why I kind of hesitated to preach on this, to be honest with you, because I think it probably falls on people that 
it really doesn't matter with you in this room, but you do know people that are like this. We all know religious people, right? Where they don't, they don't cuss, they don't drink, they don't steal, they don't cheat, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't chase around, they're at church every Sunday. They're really good people. By all appearances, they're good. They're probably better than anybody else that's sitting around in the church on a Sunday morning. But the problem is, God knows their heart. They can fool you, but they can't fool God. Does that make sense? And this was the elder son. This is what was going on. It, it, I'm not trying to cause anyone to question their salvation. That's not my desire here. What I want you to do this morning is listen to God. Because salvation does not come it, through religious activities. Salvation comes through Christ, not through religious activities. Salvation comes not through church membership, but through conversion. A good proof text of that, I think, is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew basically the Old Testament by heart. He was very religiously active in what he was doing for the Lord. Zealous for the Lord, he says, in his own words. But he'd not had a conversion experience. He had not bumped into Christ. He had not met the one true living God. And when he did, it changed everything for him. And then he was brought from death to life. So we got to watch when we watch the prodigal, the, the, the lost religious son, I think that's what does it. For me, here's what I did. When I first started seeking and coming close to God, I thought church was going to fix me. I thought going to church was the answer. Going to church was not the answer, but going to church got me in a spot where I bumped into Jesus. And that's what changed my life. Then the good activity that comes out of that is not behavior-based modification. It's not religious activity. It's activity. It's living a life of good fruit that brings glory to God. And my desire is to do all things as though I'm doing them unto Christ. Not because my heart wants to look good. Not because my reputation wants to be upstanding and, and a, a pillar in the community. That's not it. Do we all want good testimonies? Yes. But what should our testimony look like? Without Christ, I'm dead. Without Christ, you don't see the same Dan. You have no idea. There's a lady sitting in the front row over here that knew the old Dan. You have no idea the Dan that used to be until I bumped into Jesus. Do you have that same experience? Have you been brought from death to life? Have you, are you born again? Or are you just a good churchgoer? Let God search your heart this morning and let him answer those questions. We have to be born again. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we are not saved by good works. We're saved by grace. It's a free gift to God that no man shall boast that I did this. I'm the one. Look how good I am. No, if we're going to be saved by the grace of God, look how bad I am. It's like A.W. Tozer. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. So the question I'll leave you with before I get to point two is this. Is your Christianity about your reputation or about Jesus? As you sit in your chair this morning, is your reputation or your, is your Christianity more about your reputation or more about Christ? Is it more about knowing that without him, I have no light. Without him, I am not who I am. I can't even imagine life apart from Christ. It's not about religion. It is about a relationship. And a relationship begins when you encounter the one true living God, and you come into agreement with him that, yes, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior, and we offer ourselves to him. The second thing we see in this is the religious son's rebellion. See, he has rebellion. We watched the prodigal be rebellious, but the religious son also rebelled as well, and we see that in this, these verses that I'll read, 25 through 30. 
When he came near the house, he heard music, music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But, the ans- but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, and never disobeyed any of your orders. And you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends? But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. There's a Wesley commentary that Pastor Dan shared with me on this study. And, and, and it says this, angry and sullen, the older, the older son gave vent to his feelings in a very unloving and un, un, unlovely and unloving tirade. He showed that he was far from being a true son of the generous hearted father. Because you see the behavior, you see the rebellion in his heart. And I'm thinking to myself, when you talk about this anger that this kid had, this is not something that's new. This was his heart. So as long as dad did it his way, everything was okay. Young ones, are you picking up what I'm laying down? As long as your dad does it your way, everything's okay. But as soon as dad doesn't do it your way, you're like, no, I'm not coming in. I'm not doing this. You see this kid be angry, coming in from the field. He hears this, the fattened calf, all that that's going on, and he refuses to come in, and his father gently pleads with him. And this idea of him being angry is just red-faced. Can you see him come marching in after a long day, sunset, and he hears this party, and all of a sudden he's like, what is that? And he calls one of his kids, hey, over here, what's going on? Because remember, this guy's pretty wealthy. He's well-to-do. He's doing okay. He calls one of his servants, hey, what's going on? He says, your dad did this. And this kid's like, he did what? And who's home? Are you kidding me? There's no way I'm putting up with this. And you can just see the red-faced anger that this kid has. He's irate, and he's not coming in the house. So his father, watch the father, goes out to the elder son, exactly like he went out to the younger son. And he pleads with him, listen, come inside. It'll be okay. He's home. He's changed. He's different. It'll be all right. And he's like, no, there's no way that I'm coming in that house. So his father gently pleads with him. And here's his response. You can see the condition of this kid's heart by what he says. Look. In other words, look, you. If you had any stinking common sense at all, you pick it, you get in the sense of what Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees when they're grumbling and they're complaining. Go back to verses 1 and 2. They're grumbling, they're complaining. And he says, look, if you had any common sense at all, you'd know I've done nothing but serve you all these years. And now all of a sudden you're giving this kid a party? You've got to be kidding me. There's no way I'm coming in the house. He says, I have slaved for you for years. That word slave is doulos in the Greek. And it literally means I'm a slave. See, here's what this young man had going on in his heart. This is why he was so goofed up. James says in James chapter 1, he says, I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know what a bondservant is. A bondservant is a bondservant as a slave who basically has served his term for his master, but he loves his master. So he gives his life to his master, so he becomes a bondservant. He loves who he's serving. He's serving with the right heart, and he wants to do it for the rest of his life. This kid thinks he's in bondage. This kid thinks that I've been slaving for you all these years, and you've not even given me a goat to celebrate with? You've got to be kidding me. 
He's so disrespectful and offensive to his father, and he does it publicly. You know there's other people standing around watching this. So all of a sudden, this kid's reputation, people have got to be going, where'd that come from? That kid had an opportunity, and God revealed what was going on in his heart. And that's where, again, where you see the Pharisees. They kept the letter of the law. They did everything they were supposed to do. You can pretend all you want outwardly, like the Pharisees did and the scribes did, but you can't hide your heart from God. God says in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 19, he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these things defile them. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That's Matthew 15, verses 18 through 19. The older son was self-righteous, and he had no problem pointing out his brother's sin. Right there to his father, he says, listen, dad. He says, You're, you killed the fattened calf for this guy, this despicable young man after everything I've done for you. He squandered his money on prostitutes. That's a false testimony. Jesus never says that earlier in that parable. But see how we embellish that when we're trying to make somebody else look bad, when we want to make us look good? He says, you squandered your money with, he, you, he squandered his money that you gave him with prostitutes. The Bible never says that. But when we get ourselves in a self-righteous state, we want to point to someone else and get, get God's eyes off of me and onto someone else, get the Father's eyes off me onto someone else and tell that this is exactly what this kid has done. This reminds me of when the, the, in Luke 18, um, when Jesus gives another parable to the Pharisees. In the temple, there's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee's like, thank goodness I'm not like that guy. He's sitting in the temple. He's like, I'm really glad I'm not like that guy over there because I tithe. I fast, I pray, I study, I do all these things, but look at that tax collector over there. And it says the tax collector, when he was in the temple, went a distance afar off and beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus says, this day, that guy was redeemed. Not the Pharisee, who was bragging about everything he did and had a, it had a heart that was distant from God, but the tax collector who knew he was a sinner and knew he needed a savior. That's what you see the difference there. He had one more problem that he had too. He had the problem of wealth. He loved money. Jesus says it this way, you, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, this kid got mad at his dad. Why? Because he killed a fatted calf. The fatted calf in those days would have been worth a lot of money, and you did it for this despised young kid? So he's not happy with the way dad's spending his money because he knows when dad dies, that's his money. So he loves money more than he loves the father. You got to watch your heart, guys. You got to watch as we walk out our Christianity on this side of heaven that we don't get caught up in these routines and these rhythms. Legalism does not obey God. Legalism does not obey God. It follows rules. Watch. Here's the heart. I get to serve God. I get to serve my father. I get to read my Bible. I get to go to church. I get to have a relationship because of what Jesus has done for me. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. I get to do this. Legalism is I have to. I got to do this. I don't have a choice. I got to do what dad says. I got to do what God says because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble with God. No. You want to make sure that you're doing these things for the right reason. Jesus tells the Pharisees, he's setting this example before the Pharisees because he says in Matthew 15, 6 through 9, he says, this people honors me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. But in vain they do not worship me, teaching the doctrines and the precepts of men. They teach everything right, but they don't worship me. Their hearts are far from me. Where is your heart with God this morning? Allow him to talk to you. And when he does, just turn and do whatever he says. But do it because you get to, not because you're afraid of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's nothing wrong with fearing the Lord, but don't be afraid of him. If you're afraid of him, you're in a bad spot with him. If you're sitting in here this morning and you're literally afraid of God, your heart needs to change and go a different direction. And the older son missed the joy of forgiving his brother. He missed the joy of his brother coming home. He missed the joy of restoring that relationship. Listen, from a dad's perspective, we know this. When we have two family members or two siblings that are astrayed from each other, and all of a sudden we have an opportunity to re reunite our family, as from a father's perspective, that's exactly what we want, is it not? We don't like our kids to be estranged from each other. This guy missed the opportunity even to forgive his brother and restore and have the joy of pleasing his father and reuniting the family. He blew it completely. And the third point is this, his, his father's reaction. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Can you hear the pleading that Jesus is using this parable as an example to the Pharisees? We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again. He was dead in his sins and trespasses, but because he's asked for forgiveness in this parable, he's brought back to life. He was lost and now he's found. This is unusual because in this part of it, when he says, my son, it's not like the son example that he used before. This word son literally means child. He's coming out to his elder son. And he's saying, child, listen to me. Please turn your heart back. He's pleading with them and looking for them so that everything would be okay. He calls him son. He calls him child. That's an affectionate call from the father to the child to come back into the house, to stop doing this. And what you see here, you guys, so you get very clear on this, back to verses one and two again, we see Jesus literally pleading with the Pharisees here through this parable, come home. You don't have to do this anymore. Come back. You see the heart of Christ when he's talking to the Pharisees. It seems like he's trying to get something else across, but he's really, really just reaching out to them to get them to come home. And that same father, that same sense, here's what I want to get across in the next few minutes. From a father's perspective, look at how the father responded to the son, gentlemen, parents in general. He did it. He had been absolutely disrespected by this kid in public. His other son had left, but he came home. But this father goes out and he pleads with him in a loving manner. He didn't go out defensively saying, listen, boy, you better, you better show me some respect. You better knock it off because you're making, because really in all reality, from a parent's perspective, most of the time when our kids are bad, if we could just tell them what we wanted to, be like, knock it off, you're making me look bad, right? I'm, I'm parenting you better than this. Stop it because you're making me look bad. The father did not go out defensively. God the father does not do that. God the father comes to me with grace and with mercy to plead with me through pervenient grace to call me back or through his grace to call me home to not wander any longer. Dan, come back. I love you. I want you to come into the house. I want you to join in the feast. I want you to be part of the family. Please don't wander any longer. And you finally notice here, one more thing that strikes me is that you finally notice how Jesus ends this parable. He didn't end it revealing how the elder son responded, did he? He just ended it saying that your, your brother was dead, now he's alive. He's lost and now he's found. So he leaves a cliffhanger there on purpose, I believe. 
because he left it for the audience of the Pharisees who would have been considered the elder brothers pleading with them again to respond to the message that he's given them. And I believe we do know the end of the story because what did the Pharisees end up doing with our Lord? They ended up having him arrested and having him killed, didn't they? Put in a tomb. Remember that part of the story? But I can't help but wonder if some of the Pharisees along the way didn't respond to Christ in a manner that would have been pleasing to God. Because you see Nicodemus and you see Joseph of Arimathea, right? Who gave Jesus his tomb to be buried in. So these words of Jesus did not fall on all deaf ears. And I pray this morning that they don't fall on deaf ears. I pray this morning that we have that heart um, to not be distant from God. We don't have a heart that we've been a Christian for so long that we forgot our first love. That we've been a Christian for so long that it's become about religion rather than relationship. I pray that's not the case for anyone in this church. That we always remember we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed and we are not the same. We are a new creation in Christ and we walk with him because we've been converted by Christ. I'm not just religious where I've grown up in church. I've grown up a certain way. I've been this guy all my life. You ask people, when did you, be, when did you become a Christian? Well, I've been a Christian all my life. No, that is not what the Bible teaches, people. That is not what it teaches. It teaches a road to Damascus experience where I was once dead, and now I've been born again, and I'm alive in Christ. I pray that you allow God to search your hearts today. I pray that is because that's the heart of the Father calling to each one of us through this parable. And don't be like the Pharisees and stay hard-hearted. Be like Nicodemus and be like Joseph of Arimathea and give your heart to Christ and turn to him and walk with him thenceforward. Because here's the deal. I want you to know the joy of salvation. I want you to experience that as a Christian. Everybody in this story, in this parable, everyone experienced redemption except for the elder son. He didn't know the joy of the Lord yet. Everyone had joy. Everybody was happy except for the elder son. I want you to know what the joy of the Lord feels like. I want you to know what it's like to be saved by the blood of Jesus and not be religious, but walk in a relationship with the one who gave his life for you. You gave your life. You give your life back to him and walk with him henceforward. Amen? Tanner, would you come pray with us first and we'll be done. Let's bow our heads and let's just take a moment to let... Lord, speak to us about this message. I feel like that would be a good idea. Lord, I want to pray for each and every heart here. I want to pray first, Lord, for those hearts who have had the experience of the prodigal. I want to pray that they would look forward to or look back to that moment where they had their conversion, where they knew I've messed up and I need to turn. Lord, I pray that if they haven't yet had that experience, that you would lead them right to it you would open up their eyes to the grace and mercy that you do have as our Father, that you would run with open arms, you would search for the one sheep, and you would sweep a whole house to find the one coin just like he would to find us. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who have had that experience already to remember where we were and remember where we're going with you. Lord, you're good to us. You're 
you are merciful to us, and we don't want to forget that even after we have had that experience. Maybe years in our past we had that experience. Lord, I pray that you don't let us forget what goodness you met us with when we turned to you. Lord, I also want to pray this morning for the people in the room with the spirit of the older brother. That spirit which does the right thing, looks very good on the outside. By all outside opinions, it would look like we're doing just great, but we know, and God knows, you, Lord, know what's going on on the inside. Lord, that's a terribly, terribly revealing thing to realize, that you know. You know what's inside our hearts. But this morning, Lord, I pray that you would meet those who feel that way, who feel exposed to what you can see inside of us. I pray that you would meet us just like the father met the prodigal and went out to meet the older brother. You meet us with mercy and with love and with kindness and compassion and with the love of Jesus. So, Lord, whatever spirit lies within us, I pray that you would help us to understand we have a God who cares for us far more than we could ever imagine. You care, and it's your desire to draw us close to you, and so, Lord, I pray you give us the courage as your children to take that step, take the step closer to you, to do the hard thing and let ourselves be exposed to you because you already know us and meet us with that grace and mercy that we trust that you will, Lord. We know that Jesus gave this parable and it is solidified in our scripture so that we could have a picture of what God does with people who are rebellious towards him. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand this today as a people here living out our walk in Gillette, Wyoming, that we would be a community that understands we have a God who's graceful and merciful toward us. And whatever that means for you as an individual, Lord, I pray that we would hold on to this lesson, hold on to this message, and let it impact us further beyond this morning. But tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next few years, throughout our whole lives, Lord, we pray this, pray that you'd solidify these things in our hearts that we've learned this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.